0: Together, Father, we we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your kindness and how you have shown us your great love and your mercy and your grace in the person of your son Jesus. We thank you, God, that Jesus lived the life, the perfect life, the life that we could not live, and then he died the death that we should have died. And we thank you that he was buried, and we thank you that you did not put a period after his burial. But we thank you that on the third day he got up, he rose from the dead, and it's through Christ that we have been redeemed. We're a part of your family that we're here today, and we are so grateful. I pray you would encourage your people this morning through your word, and that you would help me, Lord, uh, preach your word and teach it, and that you would be glorified, and your people this morning would just be built up and edified in their relationship with you. Father, I pray anyone that's here this morning that doesn't know Christ, they've never repented of their sin and put all their faith and trust in Jesus, the one who is the atonement for their sins. Today, Lord, would you move in such a way that you would bring that person or those persons to faith and, and repentance? And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it's, it, I won't tell too many stories uh, about Pastor T, but let me tell you, you one because... Uh, this one just stands out to me so much. And, and again, just as Thabiti and Christy left to come this way to D.C. many years ago, I remember I was about to get up and preach. We They were singing the last song, you know, and Pastor Pete's going to get up after this song to preach. And, And one of our deacons, one of our deacons came up and said, Pastor Pete, and he had tears in his eyes, and he was just real emotional. A brother named Claude, uh, and, and Claude is just an emotional guy, a gentle guy, an encourager, a very passionate brother. And so I didn't know what was going on, but he was weeping, and he said, Pastor, we just got a call, and your house is on fire, and you need to go. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, my house is on fire, and... You know, thinking about what happened. Did we leave something on? Just a lot of thoughts begin to run through my mind. And then, and then I'm thinking, they're on the last verse. Like, they're about to finish this song, and I got to go up and preach. And, and I remember just looking over at the beating and saying, hey, my house is on fire. Is there any way you can preach? And they sung a couple other verses to the song. The BD gladly preached and uh, he took a minute and prayed and he was flipping through his Bible. I think we prayed together and he got up, y'all, and preached for like an hour and a half, just on seven minutes, you know, of just preparation. Incredible. And we knew right then God had his hands on him. We knew actually before then that, that God had his hands on him. But it's good to be here. Let's, hey, join me at Acts chapter 1. And I love your, your, your theme for the weekend and uh, the four corners of the earth to the four, four corners of the block to the four corners of the earth. And I thought I would just land here at Acts chapter 1. And I know you're, you're studying the book of Acts uh, in Bible study, and that's encouraging as well. And actually, that, 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 that's a sense of confirmation in some ways this morning when I saw that in the bulletin. But but, but I, I hope I'll just encourage you today. I don't know if I'll tell you anything new as you, you're going through uh, this book. But I hope I'll just encourage you this morning and remind you of some things that you already know. And I hope as a church that this passage would just encourage you to carry the glory of God from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the earth. And listen, are you there in Acts chapter 1? Follow along with me in your Bible. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And, And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. As the Beatty mentioned, Pastor T mentioned, I, I, I love basketball. Any other lovers of basketball? I'm almost 52 years old and my, my basketball days are over because my knees are just really bad. But I, I still love to shoot around in a gym if I cut through a gym. I still love to watch basketball and we're on the tail end of March Madness. In fact, tomorrow night it'll be over and, and, and the champion will be either Texas Tech or v- University of Virginia. And I think we got a University of Virginia maybe fan right here. But as, I, as I've been watching the tournament, I often reflect back to previous tournaments. One in particular because the University of Virginia is in the final four, really for the first time since 1983. And this is old school, and some of you, I realize you weren't even born in 1983, but in 1983, NC State won the national championship in men's basketball. Pastor T and Christy went to NC State but let, let, me, let me tell you the journey before, uh, uh, j- just real quickly. NC State had a good team. They, they weren't really necessarily a great team, though. They had good players, but they weren't the most athletic. They couldn't jump the highest, they weren't the fastest team. Uh, but they were a good team, and they had a player by the name of Derek Wittenberg. He was the shooter, and uh, the three point line, I think, had just been instituted in college basketball this, this year. And so they had some good three-point shooters, but uh, Derek Wittenberg went down. uh, He he injured his ankle. It was during the regular season. He took a jump shot. The defender was right up on him, and when he came down, he landed on the defender's foot. And so Wittenberg was out for, I don't know, eight games, maybe 10 games, and so State went into kind of a funk, and they lost many games because their best player, Wittenberg, uh, was injured. And I remember as... As we were getting closer to March Madness, uh, discussions about who's on the bubble, who's going to make it in, that kind of thing. And NC State was on the bubble. And basically what they said, they said this, NC State really has to win uh, the ACC tournament uh, in order to get into the big dance. And I remember thinking, y'all, no way impossible. They will not win the ACC tournament. They had one regular season game left. They were playing Carolina. Carolina is my team, UNC Chapel Hill. They were playing Carolina, and uh, they end up beating Carolina that last regular season game. And a a brother was mad. I was upset. I couldn't believe they beat Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, Kenny Smith. They beat that team, and, and so they went into the ACC tournament. And and they were saying they got to win the ACC tournament for them to even make the NCAA tournament. I said impossible, impossible, because they would have to beat North Carolina and they would also have to beat Virginia. Carolina and Virginia were like one and two in the country at that time. There's no way they're going to beat them. They would have to go through them uh, to win the tournament. They end up beating Carolina a second time. And I was really mad. I was really hot. Then they played Virginia in the final game. And I'm like, it's no way they're going to beat Virginia. Virginia had a guy by the name of Ralph Sampson, seven foot four, something like that. He was the national player of the year, three years in a row, sophomore, junior, senior year. He was a senior that year. It's no no way they're going to beat Virginia. They beat Virginia. And what I thought was impossible really was possible. And then they got in the tournament, and it's like, well, they, they're not going to go far. They'll probably lose, like, the first game. They're, they're not going to go very far, and, and, and they win a game, and you're like, yeah, they, they got lucky, but they, they probably won't win the next game. They win the next game. And before you know it, NC State is in the Final Four, and I'm thinking, okay, they got lucky, and, uh, but, but it, it's, it, it would be impossible for them to win the national championship. Impossible, and here's why: they had to beat Virginia again in the Final Four, and then they had they would they would have to beat Houston. And back in the day, if you if you keep up with basketball, back in the day, Houston was known as the Five slamma Jamma. That meant everybody on the team, including the trainers, could dunk the basketball. I mean, they they, they had a they had a scene from that season where Clyde Drexler jumped over this guy and dunked it, the five slam jammer. Well, State did what really I thought would be impossible. They, they'll never beat Virginia. They beat Virginia in the first game. Now they're matched up against Houston. They're never going to beat the five slam jammer. They're just going to dunk on them, and then they're going to clear the bench and put the trainer in the game, and the trainer's going to dunk on them. It's impossible for NC State. I know they made it this far. It's a fluke. No way. They're not that gifted. They're not that talented. They will not beat Houston. And lo and behold, that which to me seemed to be impossible was possible. They beat the University of Houston. Claude Drexler, Akeem Olajuwon on a, on a fluke play at the end. <laughs> I had to throw that in. But but here's all I'm trying to say. Sometimes we we look at situations, we go, that's impossible. That could never happen. That that could never be. It's no way yet somehow it's possible. And, And I think that way sometimes about the Great Commission. I think about the Great Commission, and you know what it is. I mean, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 Jesus gives us this this commission. He gives his disciples. He he has died on the cross. He has rose from the dead. And and, and he's he's about to commission his disciples to continue the work that he began. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've, I've taught you. Teach them everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. And sometimes when I, when I, when I hear the Great Commission, part of me is like, that, that's impossible. That's impo- I mean, to, 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 to take 11 guys, because Judas has betrayed Jesus, and he's committed suicide. Now he's got 11 guys. And from these 11 guys who really aren't that gifted and talented. Who really weren't that smart or, 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 or that elite necessarily. And from this group of guys, he says, go. Make disciples. Teach. Baptize. And, I, and a part of me goes, just impossible. But yet because of Christ... And because of his authority and the fact that he is with us, what what may seem to be a mission that's impossible really is possible. And so today, as as we think about the four corners of the block, four corners of the earth, it's a mission that's possible. It's a mission that's possible not because we're that gifted and talented, but it's because of Christ. And it's because he's called us, and when he calls us, he equips us to do that which he's called us to do. I think we see this mission that's possible even in Acts chapter 1. And there there are just a few things I want us to to, to consider this, this morning. We see the mission here is really verse 8. Again, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. It's really the same mission that we get in Matthew 28, uh, uh, 18 through 20. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This mission, given to us by Jesus, it really is possible. And here's why. I want us to notice just a few things in the text. Here's the first. We're going to notice the preparation for the mission we see the preparation for the mission in verses one through five now Luke writes this book you know that Uh, Luke's a physician and in in the first verse he says in my first book that's the gospel of Luke you know that and so Luke wrote a gospel uh, uh, and in this book he's writing it kind of dedicating it if you will to a person by the name of Theophilus I think Theophilus means friend of God And I hope today that all of us are friends of God through his son Jesus Christ. And notice what he says here. He says, in in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Let's stop right there just for a second because Luke says this. I'm writing Theophilus and I'm and and I'm writing, and, and, and as I write, I'm writing about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, so, so Jesus' Jesus's ministry, is sti- it still continues. Because Luke says it began, and, 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 and Luke will say it, it will continue. This mission will continue, and it will continue through the ministry of the church. Now, when I think about the cross, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And in terms of redemption, in terms of our salvation, that work is finished. And when Jesus died on the cross... For our sins, he hung on the cross and he said, it is done. It is finished. die salvation, everything that's needed for, for those I've chosen to be saved has been accomplished on the cross. It is finished. So that part of Jesus' work is done. We don't, Jesus doesn't need to die on the cross for our sins again. But his mission, carrying the gospel Everywhere we go, to the four corners of the earth, that work continues. Jesus began it, but he will continue it through the church. And Luke says here, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus both did and he both taught. And so we see throughout the Gospels how Jesus was doing the work ministry. And let me tell you, I've been encouraged to hear just all the the things that are going on in the life of the church, in the community, in the name of the gospel. Uh, We we see that really, uh, in a sense, follows the model that Jesus set when he was here. I mean, Jesus was doing, whether it was healing people, whether it was feeding people, whether it was encouraging people, whether it was ministering to people's physical needs, Jesus was doing. But he was also teaching too he was teaching the gospel, teaching about the kingdom of God. Be a church that does, but be a church that also teaches. So many churches uh, don't have a good balance there. There are some churches that do a lot but teach very little. And there are some churches that teach a lot and do very little. Let me tell you, I'll just be the first to say this about my own church. There was a season in our ministry where we were teaching hard and teaching hard and teaching hard, but we were doing very little. And and the text says, as Luke says, he's writing that that he wrote about what Jesus began to do as well as teach. And then he says, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through uh, the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now we see what's happening here. Jesus is beginning to prepare or he's, he's continuing to prepare, I should say it that way, his disciples for this mission that really is possible. Luke kind of introduces the book, and then he, he gets into how Jesus really prepares us for this mission. Now, notice who he's preparing here. Uh, verse 2 says it is the apostles. And again, think about this. When, Jesus, uh, when Luke wrote this, Jesus had 11 apostles, Judas had betrayed him. Judas had committed suicide. It is 11. If you want to know who those 11 are, just go down and read verses 12 and 13, and you see the 11 apostles. So Jesus has 11 guys, and he begins to continue to prepare these 11 guys for the the mission of carrying the gospel, for the mission of going from the block to the uttermost parts of the earth. And listen to this. These are ordinary men. I've already kind of mentioned this. They're ordinary men. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. There's a zealot on the list. These are ordinary people. And here's the thing I want to just encourage you as well as myself this morning. God has a way of just using ordinary people to get his work done. And I think about my own personal life here. When God called me, let me tell you something. There was nothing special about me. There was nothing. I don't feel like I'm super gifted. I don't feel like I have a lot to offer God. And I'm amazed that, that God uses ordinary people. And the reason why I think he does it is because you have to definitely give him the Glory. If you bring something to the table, if you, if, if you feel like, hey, God is lucky to have me on his side, then you might take credit if God should move and do something in and through you. But it's something about understanding just how ordinary you are. It causes you to think about how God, great God is, that he could even use 11 ordinary guys and prepare them with this mission of the gospel. They were ordinary men, tax collectors, fishermen, zealots. These were men who were not the elite of society. They were not necessarily wealthy. They were just ordinary. And when we, when we see their story throughout the gospels, we see men who, who succumb to fear. I mean, they're in a boat with Jesus, and a, a storm comes up, and Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. But, but as they're on their way to the other side, Jesus falls asleep, and, 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 and the storm comes up, and they're afraid. And they wake up Jesus in a panic. Have you ever done that before? You wake up Jesus in a panic? Lord, we're going to die. We're going to die. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the winds and the waves, and then he, he rebukes them as well and says, why, why did you doubt? You, you have little faith. These were men that, were, that, that succumbed to fear. These were men that had failures. You think about Peter. Just a few days prior to this story here in Luke chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, Peter had, had failed miserably. He said, Lord, I got your back. I'm going all the way with you. Uh, everybody else might, might turn their back on you, but not me. I'm all in. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denied him three times. Failure. And yet it's ordinary people that have fear and failure that God, by his grace, uses to carry out his mission. And he prepares these ordinary men. How does he prepare them? Look at what he does. He commands them, verse 2, verse 2. Uh, he had given them command through the Holy Spirit. I, I imagine Jesus is continuing to teach them the word of God. I imagine Jesus content continuing to teach them about the kingdom of God. As the Holy Spirit worked in and through Jesus, Jesus taught them, he commanded them things concerning the kingdom. And he prepares them for this mission that is possible. And the way I think God prepares us as well, for the work that He's called us to do. He often does it through His Word. And that's why it's so important that we study His Word, that we are under good teaching, that we're, we're being instructed and taught and trained and equipped because there's, there's a mission God has for, for you as a church. And, and part of the preparation to do this great work that God has called you to is that we sit under the Holy Spirit's leadership as God's word is being expounded. And we see that Jesus commands them through the Holy Spirit in verse 2. But look at what else he does as he continues to prepare them. Verse 3, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proof. Again, Jesus died on the cross, and he had suffered miserably. He was buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead. Initially, the disciples did not even believe it. Initially, uh, the, the women showed up at the tomb first. And they go back and report to the men what what they had seen and and, and many of the disciples doubted like Thomas and and, and we know the story. But what Jesus does is he convinced them with, with many infallible proofs. They could not doubt the fact that he had risen from the dead. And why is that important? Because the mission hinges on the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Pastor T already gave a little bit of my sermon and just his, his leading of us this morning. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, we have nothing to preach, you all. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, our faith is really no good. It's futile. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, guess what? You and I are still in our sins. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, we have nothing to tell Anacostia River community. We have no message of hope. We have nothing that can transform their lives. We have nothing that can can come in and and make them a, a new creation in Christ if Jesus hadn't rose from the dead. The whole mission hinges on the fact that Jesus is alive. And you'll get this. You probably have already gotten this in the book of Acts if you've been in the study. Over and over when you, when you see the sermons throughout the book of Acts, whether it's Stephen in Acts chapter 7, or whether it's Philip in Acts 8, whether it's Peter uh, as he is ministering to Cornelius in Acts 10, whether it's Paul and his sermons as he goes uh, to share the gospel with the Gentiles, the resurrection is the key. They preach the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus, he prepares them. Ordinary men, he commands them through the Holy Spirit, and he presents himself alive by many infallible proofs. And then look at what he does thirdly. He tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, the Holy Spirit, you know this, I'm sure, had not come yet. So the, 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 the disciples were looking forward to the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus said, wait, he hadn't come yet. I've told you about him, but he hadn't come yet. When he tell him about it, go back and read John 14, 15, and 16. He calls the Holy Spirit the helper. He calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. He, he says the Holy Spirit will lead them and guide them into all truth. He says the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and righteousness and remind them of things that he had said. The Holy Spirit would bear witness of him and testify of him. The Holy Spirit hadn't come, Jesus says, so you wait. Now we as believers, we the Holy Spirit has come, so we look back to this event. We look back on the fact that the Holy Spirit has come. and In fact, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. When you come to faith and in Christ, when you repent of your sin, something supernatural happens. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. God takes up residence inside of you. And that's a good thing, right? It helps, he helps us live this Christian life. And he helps us accomplish the mission God has laid before us. But he hadn't come yet. And so he tells them to wait. And they wait. And as they wait, they continue to be prepared for this mission that God has called them to. But notice the second thing I want us to look at today. Not only the preparation for the mission, but we see the priority of the mission. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Notice here again the text. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I think the disciples still hadn't quite got it. I think the disciples were still unsure about the kingdom of God. Even though he earlier had instructed them concerning the kingdom uh, in the end of verse uh, 3, still here in verse 6, they don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. Uh, the disciples had this, th- this perspective that the Messiah would be this earthly king that he w- and he would rule and he would reign and that he would restore Israel and he would overthrow Rome. And, 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 and in so many ways, that was the kind of Messiah they were looking for. You know, our culture is not much different than that. Our culture oftentimes looks for a messiah or a Jesus that may not be necessarily the the, the biblical picture of the messiah. And we want a messiah who's gonna come in and and whether it's the prosperity movement, health, wealth and and, and prosperity, people want that kind of messiah. People want the kind of Messiah that's going to bless them and, and make life better for them. and, and, and I'm l- Listen, let me be careful here. I'm glad that God does bless us and he takes care of us. He meets our needs. But so many people that I encounter just in my ministry as a pastor, people I share the gospel with, oftentimes they're looking for this type of Messiah, one that's going to restore Israel, one that's going to just come in and, and bless them and, and, and make their life easy and prosperous and healthy, and and that's the wrong kind of Jesus. That's not necessarily the Messiah we see throughout Scripture. And so look at what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for the question. In fact, he had been teaching them about the kingdom. Uh, uh, They just didn't quite understand totally yet. I think they will understand on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But they just don't quite understand. And let me just say this. It's okay to ask questions when you don't understand. It's okay if, if you don't quite get it. It's okay. Maybe you are a new believer and you've just come to Christ, but you have a lot of questions. Hey, it's okay to ask questions. Because I love what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, that was a dumb question. You still ain't got it yet. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking the question. Je- Jesus just, just, just lets them know their question cannot be answered, and their question really is not a priority. Notice what he says, verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus, uh, the the Messiah will restore Israel one day. He will restore his people one day. But in terms of when that's going to happen, the times and the seasons, Jesus says, that's not for you to know. The Father knows those things. The Father has set, has fixed by his own authority. But the priority for you, the thing that, that should concern you most, is the mission I've called you to. And I think as a church, be very careful that the gospel and the mission always is the priority. Be careful. Be careful that, that that you don't necessarily get sidetracked, that, 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 that you don't begin to pursue and think about things that may be important, but, but in the big scheme of things, not the priority. I look at my own ministry, and there, there have been seasons in my, my ministry where lost a little focus, and things that are that may be important and maybe uh, need to be dealt with and, 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 and pursued to a certain degree uh, took more priority than the mission of the gospel. And it's almost like Jesus saying the mission of the gospel is the most important thing. Yeah, that's an important question about times and seasons that God's going to restore Israel, but what I want you to be concerned about is taking this gospel to the world let me ask you a question. As a follower of Christ, is that your heartbeat? Is your heartbeat, you know what, God has saved me to serve him, and and I want to be on mission with him, and and what's important to him is important to me. Uh, The last things that that Jesus said while he was on earth, uh, the last word, we'll see it here in a minute, in verse 8, he says, until the ends of the earth. That's his last words. And we all know that someone's last words should be listened to. Someone's last words are so important. And so, so, so it's a priority. What Jesus is about to tell them is of vital importance. And as his followers, we ought to make this mission a priority. That we're living to be on mission. A mission that really is possible. Because he prepares us. It's a priority. But notice third we see not only is it a is are we prepared for it and, and it's a priority, but notice God gives us a plan. Look at the plan right here in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. This is the plan for the mission. And just a few things today as you, as you see this verse that you probably know and have quoted over the years. Three simple things. First of all, I want you to see what I'm referring to as the strength for the plan. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so in order to accomplish this plan of of being witnesses for Christ everywhere we go, from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the earth, that his glory might be known in all the nations. Uh, in, In order to do that, we need strength. In order to do that, we can't do that on our own. We need the power and strength of God's Spirit to do it. And again, that's why he told him to wait. He says, wait. The Holy Spirit, you've heard me talk about him, John 14 through 16. He's coming, and when he comes, he'll give you strength to accomplish the mission. The word here, power, is the Greek word. It's the Greek word dunamis. And dunamis means dynamite power, explosive power. And as you keep reading the book of Acts, we see this explosive power throughout, don't we? I think about it in chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost comes. And, and all the Jews have come to, uh, to worship during this feast of Pentecost. And they would come back from all over. Uh, and they would come back to worship. And God in his sovereignty, God in his, his great wisdom waited to the day of Pentecost to pour out his spirit. And when he poured out his spirit on the apostles... They began to speak in tongues, and these tongues were a language because the people that came, they, they, they came from uh, all these different places and they spoke different languages. And so, and so the, the power of the Spirit came upon the apostles and they spoke in other tongues, tongues that they hadn't learned. And, and Peter gets up and he preaches a, a powerful sermon. And just think about power here. Just a few days earlier, Peter was denying the Lord. Peter was confronted by a little girl. I know you were with him. And he he starts cussing. Blankety-blank-blank, I was not with him. (laughs) And right about that time, the rooster crows, and Peter uh, had denied the Lord. He couldn't even stand up to the cross-examination of a little girl. But now on the day of Pentecost, they got power. It's supernatural power, and they're speaking the gospel in, in the languages of the people that have, have come, to, come to Pentecost. And Peter stands up, and he preaches a powerful sermon. I wish we had time to go there. I know you've already studied it anyway in Bible study. But, but Peter stands up, and he preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit, calling people to, to repent and be converted. And guess what happened? 3,000 people got saved. That's supernatural, you all. Ice Cube said it's a good day when he didn't have to bring out his AK. It's a good day when 3,000 folks get saved, believe me. That's a good day. 3,000 people. And it wasn't because of Peter, but it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and the apostles. It's supernatural power. And that same supernatural power is in you and me. As you seek to reach this community for Christ, as you seek to take the gospel even beyond this community for the Lord Jesus Christ, go in the power of the Spirit. You see, it's not so much how how clever a presentation is. Even though I think we ought to work on our presentation and we ought to, we, we ought to do our best to be familiar with Scripture and, and all that. But, 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 but that's not necessarily where the power is. The power is not necessarily even in, in your ability to argue or, 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 or debate, you know. There have been times where I have shared the gospel with people and I went, oh man, I, I tore it up. Man, I, 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 I had my verses, and and man, I debated good, and they couldn't a- answer that one question I asked them about, you know, this, that, or the other, and I'm walking away feeling like I was clever um, and convincing, and nothing happened. And the reason why is we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is supernatural work. This is th- th- this is work that 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 we can't do in our own flesh. In fact, if God doesn't move in the hearts of this community, no one will come. No one will be saved. It's the Father who, by the power of His Spirit, as we we preach and teach and share the Word of God, it's the Father who draws people to Himself. Lord, forgive us for the times we have gone out in our own power, in our own strength. We need dunamis. We need supernatural power. There's strength for, for us to execute this plan. But notice not only the strength of this plan, but the simplicity of this plan. Look at verse 8 again. He says, but you shall receive power. That's the strength. Um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Stop right there just for a second. That's how simple it is. So God has just called you and I to be witnesses. A witness, this is a, this is a courtroom term, and we're all familiar with courtrooms. A witness just declares what he or she knows, what he or she has seen and heard. I was driving in in Cary, North Carolina. It's the city right next to Raleigh. It's a small uh, city, and uh, I was running some errands in Cary. And uh, this guy was behind me, driving very erratic, and um, and I just remember thinking, "Man, this this brother can just go on around. I mean, I'm not driving any faster. He can go, and he did. I mean, he he like got right up on me. It was two lanes, and." And I was in the fast lane, probably driving a little bit slower than I should, but he got right up on me. And then he zooped around, you know, and he just kept going. And then we go around this curve, and I can see him up a little bit. The light is red. All right, that brother better slow down. And he ran right through the red light. And the traffic this way that was taking a left, they were coming and taking a left, they had the arrow. And so this guy turns out, and this guy just smacks him, tore up both cars. And so I pulled over, and I, I, I prayed that everybody was okay, everybody seemed to be fine. And I remember, I said, well, maybe I ought to wait, you know, and uh, just so in case they need to know what happened, I can be here. And there were several of us that had saw it. And there was a police officer that came, and she was super nice, and she began to uh, 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 interview uh, uh, us the witnesses and she said just tell me what you saw what you heard and I told him what I saw and heard I, I, didn't, I didn't do any more I didn't do any less I just said well you know the, 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 the Dodge Charger that was the brother who was driving erratic he whipped around me he kept going he was driving pretty fast he, and I was, I was just telling the truth telling what I saw what I heard the light was red and he unfortunately went right through that red light this car was turning. I don't know if that car had the, uh, the arrow or not. I later found out it did have the arrow. It turned, and he just smacked that car. She said, thank you very much. She, she said, I just want to know what you've seen and heard. And so think about witnessing kind of like that. Because I, I think probably so often we, we fail to share the gospel because we make it more difficult than it, than it, than it should be. But if, but if you just consider yourself a witness, and you just testify to the things that you have seen and heard, that God has shown you, that you know of him. And all throughout this book of Acts, even like uh, later on in chapter 4 where, where, where Peter and John heal a beggar, And uh, he's at the gate, and 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 silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he rose up and he walked. And uh, and then they bring Peter and John in, and what do they say? We can't help but to testify of the things that we have heard and seen. And that's what it means to be a witness. And it could be someone that you work with. It could be someone that you go to school with. It could be someone that lives in your community. And God would, I pray he would open up an opportunity for you and for me just to be a witness. Hey, let me just tell you what I've seen and heard and know of Jesus. Be a witness. It's simple. We see the simplicity of it. We see the strength of the plan. We see the simplicity of the plan. But notice the strategy of the plan as we begin to bring this thing down. We notice the strategy is here in verse 8 as well. But you will receive power. That's the strength. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. Uh, The word witness there, uh, again, is the tale of what you have seen and heard. And look at the strategy. It's in Jerusalem. It's in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Notice the strategy here. They were to begin in Jerusalem. This was their own community. Jerusalem was where they were. And so Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's simple. I just want you to be my witnesses. And and, and, and here's the strategy. Begin in your own community, with neighbors, with friends, with family, with people uh, within close proximity, that that you are to be witnesses right at home. We did something in our church a few years ago. We called it Strategy 3. We went through the book of Acts and we entitled the whole series Live on Mission. Because we want it to be a church that is living on mission. We, we want to be, our priority has got to be this gospel. Our priority, again, I love the theme, uh, four corners of the block, four corners of the earth. That's got to be our priority. And, and and so we came up with this thing called strategy three. And we looked at Acts 1-8 and we thought, you know, how are we doing ministry right here in our community? And we talked about things as a church, but then we talked about how we this might look if we were practicing this individually. And so we came up with this thing called strategy three, and this is what we said. We said, we want you to choose three networks, three networks. It could be work. It could be um, family. It could be your community. It could be where you work out. It could be where you do Starbucks or wherever you do coffee. But just just choose three networks. And once you choose those three networks, Choose three people in each of those three networks. And so that's like nine people, okay? And then the third thing is we want you to, if possible, do three things. Once you've chosen the three networks, three people within each network, we want you to do three things, and it's simple. First of all, we just want you to try to build a relationship with people, Preferably nonbelievers, those that don't know Christ, build a relationship with them. Spend time with them if you can. Have lunch. Have them over to your, your, your house for dinner. Do coffee on Saturday morning. Go work. Whatever it is that, that you can do to build a relationship. Go to a ball game. Watch a ball game or whatever it might be. Build a relationship. The second thing we encourage our congregation to do is to pray often for those individuals that are in your three networks, the three individuals in each network. Pray for them. Pray for their hearts. Pray for their receptivity to the gospel. Pray that you have opportunities to share the gospel with them. But pray. Build relationships and pray. And then pray that you would have an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with them. And then the third thing would be have that gospel conversation with them. As you build relationships, as you pray, looking for that opportunity to have a gospel conversation, then you, as God opens that door, have a gospel conversation with them. And doing ministry in our own context, in our own community, right here at home, that might be helpful to some, but I believe God wants us to be intentional to look for ways to minister to the community he's placed you in. And again, I'm, I'm so encouraged as I just have heard the testimonies this morning of what God is doing in this community. K- keep doing it. To the glory of his name, for the sake of the gospel, keep building relationships, keep being intentional to, to share the gospel with people, to get to know people, to, to, to do and to teach right here in this community. So they were to reach their own community. That's Jerusalem. But notice verse 8, they were to reach not only their own community, but their own country. Verse 8, it says not only uh, Jerusalem, but it's Judea as well. They were to reach out to their country uh, uh, with people who were... Lived under the same national banner, if you will, who spoke the same language, who had the same customs, who lived in the same cultural environment, if you will. They were to do uh, ministry or to carry the gospel to their entire country. Then they were to carry the gospel to the entire continent. Notice Samaria, verse 8. They were to reach out beyond the confounds of their community and the confounds of their country, but, but even to Samaria. And so we see the gospel, is st- it started at home, but now it, it, it spreads. And what would it look like if a church and God's people were not only doing ministry in their community, but their country and their continent? What would that look like? Well, I think it would look perhaps like this. We would pray for our country and opportunities to minister even beyond our community. I think it would be not only what we pray, but I think it would, it, it, we would be willing to go should God lead. We'd be willing to go if God should lead. I, I love uh, Pastor Jahil. In fact, Pastor Jahil spoke for us in Raleigh at, a, at a, a youth event a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and as I've gotten to know him from Southeastern Seminary, and we've had some classes together over there, um, I've just been encouraged by this brother. And I know how much you love him just by the warm reception. I saw you guys give him as he and his family came up. And, and I know as Brother Jahil's been sharing with me, as we just connect from time to time Southeastern, or they—they've come over some as well to our church. I know his heart, as he is—is is, going to be pastoring now in Shreveport, Louisiana. I always mess that up, so I want to say that. I want to practice that, Jahil. And and I think that that's that's an example of a brother who has certainly done ministry in this community, but but. A brother who also is considering is God sending me somewhere else within the confines of this, this country to, to be about the gospel, to live on mission, and to see this brother answer the call to go in a context that much different from this. And let me tell you something. It may be others right here that God is laying on your heart. You're here for a season, but God is laying on your heart that, you, that he would send you somewhere else to do ministry. And the question would become, would you be willing to go? Would you be willing to live on mission with Christ and, and take the gospel where, where it's needed and where, where he calls you to? Here's what I've learned. Rick Warren made this statement. I don't know if you ever read Rick Warren. He wrote a book called The Purpose-Driven Driven Life and The Purpose-Driven Church. In The Purpose-Driven Church, he made this statement that still resonates with me today, even though he's, I read the book many years ago. He said, the greatness of a church is not in its seating capacity, but it's in its sending capacity. And it might be that one of the things that God does here at at ARC, i got to get those initials down, ARC, is that he raises up people. You do great ministry in this community, but some of you he sends in other places throughout our country to do the work of the gospel. And if he does, let's be willing to go. But notice we see finally the prospect We see the preparation for the the mission. We see the priority of it. Uh, um, We see the plan, and we see that we need strength. And it's simple because he just called us to be witnesses. We see the strategy. It's our community. It's our our country. It's the entire continent. Then it's the entire world to the ends of the earth. But notice the prospect, verse 9. And when he had said these things, so Jesus had just finished speaking. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So imagine, as I try to think about what that had to look like, Jesus giving them these instructions. Hey, yo, the Holy Spirit's coming. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, He's going to empower you. You're going to be witnesses to me. Um, you're going to be witnesses right here at home, and then we're going to, go, we're going to carry this, this gospel to the entire world. Jesus finishes that, and as he finishes that, literally, he's taken up from them in the midst of, of, of them actually seeing him being taken up. And, and can you imagine? I mean, Jesus is here one minute, and then, boom, he's, been, he's, been, he's ascending to glory. And, and, and the text says here that, that he was lifted up and a cloud took him. The Greek word here for cloud implies not like a rain cloud, but it's, it's, the, it's the glory cloud. It's the Shekinah glory of Christ. And can you imagine him being ascended in his, all of his glory, all of his Shekinah? And, 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 they, and, and, and he's lifted up out of their sight, and, and they're gazing up into heaven. And I imagine they probably said, wow. They probably said it backwards. Wow. (laughs) They probably said it upside down. Mom. You know, it's just like, I mean, can you imagine that? Jesus is taken up in all of his glory, in a glory cloud. And they're just staring. They're They're just looking. And as they're staring, notice what the text says and while they were gazing into heaven their eyes were fixed on heaven as he went Jesus is being Jesus is ascending behold two men stood in white robes we believe these were angels these were messengers of god and notice what the messengers say in verse 11 the messengers say men of galilee why do you stand Uh, 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 looking into heaven. This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, just like you saw Jesus leave in a a, a physical body, just like you see him being ascended in this glory cloud, going to heaven, one day he's going to come back to earth in the same way that he ascended. He's going to come back to earth in all of his glory. And it's almost like the implication is this. So get to work. Get to work. Get to work. He's going to to be back soon. So get to work. Get busy on this mission that really is possible. Get to work. You know, we're going through, as I close the books of 1 Thessalonians at our church, And one of the things that we've entitled the entire series is just until he comes. How are we to live until he comes? And one of the things that we have been reminded of and we are certainly convinced of because the Bible clearly teaches that one day and one day soon, Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And while we are waiting for him to come, some people's. Perspective is they—they just like this. They're just like this, and I think it was Randy Alcorn in a book called Heaven. It's a good read; you ought to read it. In a book called Heaven, he says some Christians are so so heavenly-minded; they're no earthly good. They're just staring up to heaven like this, and and, and 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 they're really no earthly good. And then he also says that some are so uh, earthly-minded; they're no heavenly good. And we don't want to be like that either. But we want to be people that we have our eyes on heaven, of course. Paul says in Colossians 3 that we we set our minds on the things which are above. And as we do, that impacts the way we live here on earth. And as we have our minds and our eyes on, on the things of heaven, We also have our eyes and minds on the things of earth because God has given us a mission that he wants us to be involved in, to share the gospel. Because one day he will come again. One day he will come again and he wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. So, hey, I hope you're encouraged today. The mission is possible. It's possible not because we're gifted and talented or have something to offer God, but it's possible because of Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. Baptize and teach. Baptize and teach. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be witnesses everywhere you go, starting at home and to the ends of the earth. Hey, here's something else I was encouraged by the mission pastor, and just even work that that's being done in other nations. I went to, and I'll close with this, I went to... Africa about two years ago. And to be honest, overseas was never ever on my radar. And I've been pastoring for over 20 years, and, and it's really never even been on my radar until a few years ago. As I began to think about this text, our church was going through Acts. And you know what? Not only might God Call some of you from this community to go to some other place in the United States to do ministry. God might call some of you from this community to go overseas, Africa or Asia or South America. Because this gospel has to go to all nations, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And let's be people that are, that are, that are living on mission with him. And let's be encouraged that the mission... Is, is, is possible because of Christ. Let me pray for us. Amen. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that when we look at Jesus, Jesus was on mission. He left the glories of heaven and he came to earth. And John tells us that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we thank you that Christ was on mission. He lived this perfect life, the life that we could not live. And we thank you that he was on mission because he died on the cross for our sins. And, Father, we thank you that on the third day he rose up from the dead. And, Father, we thank you that he ascended to heaven. And as, he's, as he is seated at your right hand, he intercedes for us. And so we have his prayers we have the power of his spirit to, to live out this mission he's called us to. And we thank you for that, God. And, Father, would you press upon our hearts? Would you, would you work in our hearts in such a way that, that, that we would be challenged and compelled to be a part of your great commission? I pray for this church. Lord, help this church to do ministry right here in this community. I thank you for the, the ministry that's going on in this community the lives that are being touched. And Lord, I pray you would just continue to use this church. I pray that you would call people to other places as well, and even to the, the remotest parts of the earth. Lord, would you call your people to be on mission? And we thank you that is possible. And we give you glory and we give you honor. We know you're coming back one day. And help us to be faithful until you come again. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you as their Savior. Lord, would you, by your Spirit, draw that person to you? And would you bring them to repentance of sin and faith in Christ? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.